0: Hey, good morning, Hillside. I am so glad you've joined us this morning. And uh, some of you joined us last night. It was so great to, to hang out with some of you. Uh, tailgate party in a lot. Uh, I'm not going to tell you all that went on, but one word for you, s'mores. Yes, we had s'mores. Surprise, you missed it. Um, hey, we're in week three of our new series, God Has a Name. We're, we're trying to get at this question... Just who is this God that we worship? What is God like? It, it's a big question. And honestly, I kind of feel a massive responsibility. Quick disclaimer. If I kind of mess up this series, it's on me, not on, not on God, okay? Um, our, our primary verses are two that are found in Exodus 34, verses six and seven. And they're the two most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. I, I've challenged us, To memorize these two. So I'm going to invite you to to try and do this with me again. Uh, I uh, I tell you, if I can remember these, I think most of you probably can learn to memorize these as well. So the challenge is on. Um, Let's do it. Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, uh, but punishes the children and their children to the third and fourth generation. May God again bless the reading of his very good word. Now last week we looked at uh, God's name and uh, names are a funny thing. My name through the years I've had people mess it up probably as often as they've gotten it right. Uh, don't talk about it. Um, when, I, when I got ordained, uh, I got my license to marry, I was really excited. I was getting this official document in the mail and I opened it up and it was from the province of British Columbia and my name in the heart of it all was Pastor Gary Darwin. And so from that day hence, I have married people under that name. No, I have not. <laughs> Well, God, uh, I'm in good company because God has had his name messed up plenty. But as we looked at last week, God has a name. And, and his name is not God. It's actually Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. His name points to the fact that we can rely on him. We can count on, on his character. We can trust him. And, and his name radically impacts the, the kind of the nature of our relationship with God. We looked last week at the unfolding of of God's name and and character as we see in the Old Testament story. We we, we talked about Abraham and and, and Moses and then the story of God that continues on through Scripture. And it comes to another dramatic climax climax with the coming of Jesus. Uh, Out of the four Gospels or or biographies of Jesus, probably the densest and, and one of the most richest uh, chapters of those biographies is John chapter 1. These are um, really no- well-known words. We, we read them every Christmas. Uh, John 1 verse 14, John writes speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It, it's a great passage. And it's a bit hard to see this in an English translation, but this is language right out of Exodus 34. For example, made his dwelling among us is is actually literally pitched his tabernacle among us, which is a reference to the tent that Israel put up before the Mount Sinai. And then we have, we have seen his glory. That's a, a reference to the cloud on the top of Mount Sinai where Moses met God. And grace and truth is actually a, a rendering of the Hebrew phrase, love and faithfulness. And, and what John is doing is he's taking all this language out of Exodus, you know, tabernacle, glory, love and faithfulness, as a, as a way of retelling the Mount Sinai story around the person of Jesus. He's making this huge point that in Jesus, we see God's glory like never before, in Jesus, Yahweh becomes a human being. Later in, in John, we actually have these I am statements of Jesus. And there's one time where Jesus is asked who he is, and he just says, I am. <laughs> more, more clues to his identity. And then in John chapter 17, we have this amazing prayer recorded of Jesus, long chapter where he prays to the Father and he says, I have revealed your name to those you've given me. And he goes on to say, I've made your name known to them. I I like how the message version puts it. It says, I have spelled out your character in detail. So good. So Jesus, uh, we kind of know this, has has revealed who God is and and what he's like. Um, The early Christians, they they used to have a, a little phrase that, celebrated this claim of Jesus uh, being God in person. Before a new believer would be baptized, they'd declare this small little phrase, Jesus is Lord. turns out it was no small thing to actually say. The word Lord in Greek is Kyrios, and that was the same title that they used for Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. And so actually, Calling someone else, Kyrios, Lord, other than the emperor, could get you killed. And it very often did. Many, many Christians died because of their faith that they'd put in Jesus, for saying Jesus is Lord. And then for Jews, actually, the, the word Kyrios was the Greek word used to translate the Hebrew word, guess Yahweh. So when saying Jesus is Lord, the, the first Christians, at least specifically for the Jewish Christians, They they were saying Jesus was Yahweh in person, Yahweh flesh and blood. It's actually kind of why we make such a big deal of Christmas and the incarnation. And so we want to know what Yahweh looks like, we actually can look at Jesus as the perfect representation of who he is. It's kind of funny, I have a, a group of coffee friends, you know who you are who uh, at times are, are the most remarkable armchair theologians. I love it when they kind of give me their wisdom about God. And I regularly have heard some of this, some of these kind of comments many times over the years. They, they'd say something like, I like Jesus, but I, I don't like God. Or very specifically, I don't like the Old Testament version of God. Like, he's just a little bit scary, maybe even mean. And it's not just... Some of my Starbucks friends who, who have this struggle, I, I know many believers who, who have wrestled with this. John John Mark Comer describes his experience around this this way. He says, For years I thought of Yahweh in the Old Testament as parallel with the Father in the New. Like Jesus is kind of a newcomer to the story. He says that's that's wrong, that's that's dangerous. It, it leads to a twisted caricature, as if the father is the grumpy old warmonger in the Old Testament, get this, I love this, and Jesus is the son who went off to Berkeley and came home with all sorts of radical ideas about grace and love and tolerance, and basically said, come on dad, let's not kill everybody, how about I die for them instead? Now now this is not even close to the story of God that we read in scripture. It's it's very clear. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the same Yahweh who meets Moses on top of Mount Sinai. There's a lot to ponder here. There's the Trinity. It's mysterious. But let's keep wrestling with this. So all of this, God giving us his name and then God coming in the person as Jesus has huge implications about how we're going to actually relate to God. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about this. First of all, the fact that God has a name means God is a person. He's a person, you know, which means he's personal. Think about personal for a moment. Actually, let's think about the opposite, impersonal. Have you ever been treated impersonally? You know, like at a store um, or, or at some kind of institution? I, I think back uh, to being a student in college And uh, it's the one time in my life where I felt like I was a number. It it seemed like all that mattered was your student ID number. Uh, Nobody in the institution knew your name or seemed to care who you were. Folks, God is is personal. God is not like some nameless bureaucracy. He's not an idea or a a cosmic force or energy. And, And I think often... Christians and otherwise are often tempted to think of God in impersonal terms. But the God revealed to Moses and, and in Jesus is a God who's deeply personal. He's a person. He wants us to know his name, which means actually that he's relational, like we all are. Where'd you think we get it from? God is a relationship of three persons in one, and God wants us to join in on the relationship, and God wants to relate to us, to to me, to everyone. He wants to to know and be known. Uh, J.I. Packer uh, was one of my professors at Regent College, and uh, he actually just passed away earlier this year. But when when I hear the word theologian, J.I. Packer is the guy who comes to my mind, this tall, lanky, Oxford, you know, English type. In his epic book, Knowing God, he begins with these words. He says, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. And, And then he goes on to say, he says, What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowing God. Now, now you got to know that knowing God is not about knowing more stuff about God. (laughs) As someone once said, God is not a doctrine or a question on a multiple-choice exam. He's a person who, who wants to be in a relationship with you. Think of um, Moses and God, right? Their, their relationship. They were homies. They, they talked. We read that, that God would speak to Moses face to face as someone spoke to a friend, which means God can be a friend. And, and we see Moses and God kind of relating as friends would relate. It actually gets kind of mind-blowing. I, I, I love the power of friendship. Yesterday morning, uh, I got to ride in the Ride for Refuge, a 25-kilometer bike ride in support of refugee ministry through our partner, Journey Home Community. Uh, we, we've had a team for years, but this is my first time uh, being up, being able to get out there on the road with a team and and support this great, great work. I'm, I was so excited to participate. But, um, and I think we well shot over our goal. I think as a team, our target was 5,000, and, and, you know, we're well beyond that. So very, very exciting. Yay, team. But but if you ask ask me what the best thing about the whole deal was, the whole ride, it was the whole team part of it. We didn't go alone. In fact, um, I reached out to friends and asked them for money. And uh, some of my friends gave, and some of my friends didn't. Pause, think about that for a second. Um, I, I had a couple of, of hillsiders, a couple of friends who, when they heard that my bike was broken, they actually repaired my bike. I, I had several people working like, like a team on my bike. I asked and they delivered. Someone gave me a pair of padded shorts. I didn't even know you needed padded shorts, but apparently spandex padded shorts are really helpful on long rides. They're much easier on your hindquarters. The whole, the whole deal was just this, it, a powerful example of, of team and, and friendship and what friends can mean. It, it's kind of why we, again, want you to join a small group. It's so you can grow in your faith, but also so you can actually develop community. We, we, we think that a, a church based on friendship can be a powerful community. And then what about friendship with God? There's this great story in Exodus 33, which we've looked at before, where Moses is talking to Yahweh about the burdens of leadership. I mean, Moses was in a pandemic and he was worried about how to do online church. Wait a minute, that's, that's me, actually. Um, Moses is leading Israelites in the wilderness. He's feeling alone. And in response to Moses, God says my presence will go with you. And then Moses goes on to ask God, he says, God, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And God says, sure, I I can do that. And then Moses gets his bold on, and he asks, show me your glory. We know how well that turned out, right? I I, I like John Mark Comer's observation that this is not at all how you'd expect a conversation to go between the creator of the universe and a human being. It has this pliability to it. It's got bend. It's got a give and take. It sounds like two friends talking, almost as if Moses and God are on equal footing. And of course, they're not on equal footing, but that's what makes it all the more remarkable that there's this dynamic going on. There's another story in Exodus where Israel is kind of going off the rails and they start worshiping this other god. They, they want to, to build a golden calf and it doesn't make sense at all because just before God had saved the Israelites from drowning in the Red Sea. They'd, he'd gone on to provide for them miraculously manna in the desert. And, and, and here they are complaining, complaining bitterly how God's not been faithful to them and God who is slow to anger, gets angry, and he basically tells Moses, he confides in Moses, actually, he says, I'm gonna destroy Israel and I'm gonna start over, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, you're okay, let, let's go do this again. And God's clearly upset. One theologian suggests that this whole dynamic that we see in that chapter, this is God processing his feelings with a human partner. Seriously? This is not the God I grew up with. This is a person, a person with feelings. Yahweh gets mad, understandably, and he makes a decision to to wipe Israel off the map. And what happens? You got to read the story, Exodus 32. Moses talks him out of it. (laughs) Moses essentially says, isn't your reputation, God, at stake here? I mean, you made a promise. you made a promise in front of the nations to take this people through the wilderness to a, a new land. All the nations are watching. Your name is at stake here. What happens? It says that this profound line, then Yahweh relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now get this. The Hebrew word for relented is naham, it can be translated as Yahweh changed his mind or even, more radically, repented. What? God repenting? Changing his mind? Last week we talked about his name. I I am who I am, meaning his character is never changing. You can count on him, but it turns out Yahweh, the unchangeable one, can actually change his mind. And the idea here is not that God was in the wrong, that he was repenting from sin. The idea, he was moved by this interaction and, and, and through his emotions with Moses, he decides to entirely change what he was gonna do. It's this stunning moment. What does it mean? It means God is a God who responds. This, this, is, this is huge. Uh, think about this. God is a God who is open to our ideas it's it's a real relationship it's back and forth it's elastic he's responsive as John Mark Comer says God is more of more of a friend than a formula think about it how many of us sometimes view our faith as kind of formulaic it's kind of like this. This would this maybe be the typical formula, uh, i.e. don't mess up, plus good religious practice. You know, read your Bible, pray, go to church. Minus sin equals God's blessing, right? And, and I think some of us get into that rut kind of all the time. I, I think of my friend who, who not long ago had a, a slight car accident. He, he just lightly bumped another car. He said to me, he said, my immediate thought was, God's obviously punishing me. I messed up. And, and, and here's the deal. The guy could immediately kind of re- recount areas in his life where he had messed up, right? Or, or on the other hand, we, we read our Bible, we, we go to, to church, we strive for righteous behavior, and then we kind of, in, in our heart of hearts, expect God to do what we want, It'd be good if, I think it'd be great, actually, in our small groups this week to wrestle with this question, what are some of the formulas that we, we maybe carry in our relationship towards God? Think, think about that. That'd be a helpful question to ask. What formulas are, are we actually holding on to? This formulaic approach treats God like he's not a person but some kind of machine, you know, where you, where you kind of just plunk in the right numbers and out- Comes what we want. Or we treat him like a slot machine at a casino. You know, we just keep pulling and we're hoping we just keep doing, going through the motions, right? It's, it's quite something. God doesn't work that way. And if we have this kind of formulaic approach of relationship with God, we're going to end up just disappointed and, and, and maybe sad and even angry or confused. As John Mark Comer says, with God, the math rarely adds up. God is far more interactive and interesting. Jesus' vision for us is something quite different, not a formula, but a friendship. That we get to know his father like he knew his father. I love the, the, the descriptions Jesus gave as, of his relationship with his dad, his heavenly father. That we'd have a, a back and forth relationship with Yahweh, the kind we see demonstrated by, by Moses or or Abraham, and I want you to think about this. Think about how this could change how we pray. Prayer is really what Moses did on, on Mount Sinai. It, it, it's honest, it's vulnerable. Moses is like, I'm done, God. I, I want to quit, or, or unless you go with me, God, I'm not going to make it. You know, you know, I wonder if many of us kind of get bored with prayer or struggle with prayer because we really don't pray, we're not really open or honest with God like we would be with a friend. do we kind of pray the prayers that that we see scattered throughout scripture you know in the psalms or or by monas Moses that are, are are honest and real what's incredible about these prayers is that it's like the edit button is turned off that nobody's filtering what they're saying somehow they, these These faithful ones have found the kind of safety to talk to God and and to be confident that they would be heard and loved. Think for a moment of the best back and forth kind of conversation you've ever had with a friend. Can you think of that that coffee time, that date, that where, man, it was just so good, so rich. You heard, you listened, you felt understood. Can you think of that, got that in mind? Prayer is meant to be kind of like that. I've said here many, many times, probably too many times to count, our prayers actually make a difference. Prayers change reality. You know, I'm a big Dallas Willard fan, and I like what Dallas Willard wrote. He said, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was gonna do anyway, right? He says our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a a specter or a ghost that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. And get this, he goes as far to say, it makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God doesn't respond to this. You wouldn't either. Think about this. Prayer can get God to change his mind. Prayer is when something in your life goes wrong. And so you talk with God about it, and he responds. And somehow your life goes in a new life-giving direction. Or, or, or someone said this this thing was going to happen, but now it's not. Or, or this other thing was was going to happen, and now it is. All because I had a, a conversation with God. As, as James, uh, Jesus' little brother, put it, he says the prayer of a righteous person, someone who's right with God, in right relationship with God, is powerful and effective. Folks, I, I've had too many you know, conversations with God that led to a dramatic response on God's part to doubt the power of a praying relationship. For me, the the fact that God answers prayer is a certainty. Now, does that mean I understand prayer? No, I don't. It'd be easier if prayer was a formula. And and there's just so much mystery. There's so, so much unanswered questions here. You know, the the sovereignty of God and, and free will and all those things. We'll think about some of the reasons around that next week. But I know this, that prayer is not just going through the motions unless we're just going through the motions. Because God wants to partner with us in prayer. He's got a world that he wants to love through us and he partners with us in prayer. And in some strange way, God's work in the world, his redemptive work in the world, is somehow dependent on our prayers, on our relationship of prayer with him. Look, let me ask you, are you still kind of hesitant or nervous about prayer? Coming before God openly and honestly and boldly, you know, coming, coming before him with your real self, your naked self, here's my suggestion come to Jesus as he tells us to come or come to God as he tells us to come which is actually coming in Jesus's name Jesus says you can unashamedly name drop with me all the time you know why we often pray in Jesus name it's actually because Jesus instructs us to he tells us to pray in his name but two other reasons to pray in Jesus' name first means you're praying in line with His character. You're you're, you're to pray for the kind of stuff that we want. To, he wants to see happen in the world. Uh, if we're honest, sometimes the prayers we pray are kind of stupid, uh, or crazy, outlandish, selfish. Anyone? Yeah, I, I I know I've prayed all of those prayers. Um. Lord give me the winning ticket I could really use a few extra million dollars Lord I want to win when God in his mercy who knows the end from the beginning knows that winning, the, the winning ticket might just destroy your life I, I wonder is unanswered prayer sometimes simply the mercy of God in our lives it, it's actually like the intervention of a friend no I'm not going to let you destroy yourself that way but folks, pray for justice, or healing, or the courage to stand up for your faith, or, or, or help in loving your neighbor, or, or maybe loving your enemy, who may be your neighbor. Pray all the stuff that Jesus is all over and all about, and watch out, keep your eyes open. You'll never know what God will do. I, I, I think we can never get too big with our prayers with God. Think of the kind of things Moses prayed and Abraham prayed, Jesus prayed. Years ago, our family, uh, I was on sabbatical and we were in Pasadena, California for a couple months studying. And uh, every night we got in the habit of watching the local LA news. And for, for weeks, there was an arsonist that had been burning garages and setting houses on fire. And it was, it, it was every night in the news and one night I heard this news story, and it was like this holy anger rose up in me. And I'm like, no more. And so I actually stood up. My, my family got a little weirded out. But I, I stood up in front of the telev- television. I said, in Jesus' name, may the authorities catch this guy tonight. And I, I got to tell you, I knew I was on. Like, I knew that was You know, like up, out, it it, it was God gave me this boldness and I prayed it and uh, next night, guy got caught the night I prayed. Coincidence, I don't care. (laughs) I, I believe God answered my prayer. I believe our prayers can actually impact how the world goes. I believe we can pray like that because God invites us To pray like that, you know, secondly, to to pray in Jesus' name means that whatever we pray, we have the same access to God that that Jesus has. One scholar put it this way, to pray in Jesus' name means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and to invoke Jesus' standing with God. Oh, it's so good. Now, now those, there's those of you who I, I suspect are thinking, I don't know if I can interact with God in this kind of back and forth way, like a friend. And, and I, I don't know if I can pray those kind of bold, change the, the world kind of prayers. I, I, I barely can ask for a parking spot. Here's what I'd say. You can do this because as, as a follower of Jesus, when you come before God, you come in Jesus' name and you invoke his status with God. And, and, and as, as you invoke his status, you come not as a stranger to God, you come as a son, as a daughter, you come as a beloved friend. And, and, and when you, what you find waiting for you is Yahweh, the person waiting to have a conversation with you, ready to change his mind. Ready to consider your ideas. And again, as John Mark Comer says, you don't even have to climb a mountain. All you have to do is pray. Why don't we do that? I, I, I don't know when the last time you've, you've really prayed before. I, this, let's take a moment. Yahweh, the God of everything, I am who I am, is here right now. He's in your home. He's, he's wherever you are. Let's just pause and acknowledge his presence. He's real, and he wants to meet the real you. And so in this moment, just why don't you open up your heart and open up your mind to him. Take a moment of silence as you pray. Yahweh God, knowing you is the best thing in life, bringing more joy and more delight and contentment than anything else. I'm so glad, God, that you have Proclaimed your name to to Moses and to us and through your son, Jesus. And opened up the door for us to know you and and to relate with you in a way that doesn't look anything like a formula because it's personal. Teach us to have more honest and open and trusting experiences with you, Lord. Teach us to, to open up our hearts to you and that you... We're so grateful that you actually listen to us and occasionally change your minds. And may we have boldness to have these kind of faith-filled conversations with you that actually would turn our world upside down for good. We come to you boldly this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to mention, friends, if if you are kind of feel like you're outside of the faith and you haven't made a decision to put your trust in life in in Jesus's hands, that, uh, that's what we're all about. It's, it's Jesus opens up the relationship. He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me." And so we believe a, a relationship with God starts with opening up our heart to Jesus and looking to Him to be our life and our guide, asking Him to to cleanse us and forgive us for where we've sinned, we've all sinned. And he wants to to start a new relationship with each of us through his son. So you can do that. You can pray a prayer or you can reach out to us. We'd love to to help you with that. This is not a hard thing to do and it's the hardest thing to do. It's a leap of faith. But uh, God, I sense, is inviting some of you to make that that relationship. And, And perhaps for you, a response would be, sign up for our Alpha course. Love to have you join with us in that. It's a great journey of learning. It's uh, no expectation except that you'll get to ask questions and contribute, and uh, it's going to be really, really good. So consider that. But let me end with this benediction. A reminder, you can join afterwards to our virtual Zoom. But uh, let me end with these words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, everybody.